0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three Martinis coming up.
2: Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Thanks for being here. Your stool is prepared. And also thank you for your wonderful comments yesterday, congratulating us on our 11 years. Happy to be diving into year 12 here. And uh, Jim... I feel like we're only about 12 days away from Election Day. I think it's actually uh, 13. But nonetheless, I did not expect, given Virginia's recent electoral history, to be spending a lot of good martinis talking about this year's governor's race. But uh, here we are, largely due to the fact of uh, Terry McAuliffe's own doing. His performance at the debate, where he wanted uh, parents not having a say in what school boards are doing and decisions they're making and so forth, was about the best gift that Glenn Youngkin could have gotten in this race, and it just keeps going. Uh, McAuliffe uh, doing so much damage control, now he's actually out with an ad uh, saying that Youngkin's comments uh, were, uh, or his criticism of McAuliffe was taken out of context. So when you put out an ad trying to explain... What you said before, that's never a good position to be in. Youngkin's out with a new hat, showing seven times where McAuliffe uh, said that parents shouldn't be making these decisions. But the latest uh, problem for Terry McAuliffe, uh, as this October does not go well for him, uh, is in an interview he did with the local D.C. ABC affiliate, ABC7WJLA, where he was given 20 minutes uh, for this interview, as was Glenn Youngkin. McAuliffe, however, and his team, they cut it short, even though McAuliffe says in this clip erroneously that he gave him extra time. He says election integrity is the number one issue. No, it isn't.
1: Healthcare, COVID, education. job. Finally. Okay. All right, we're over. That's okay. it. That's it. That's it. Hey, I gave you extra time. Come on, man. <laughs> well, you should have asked better ask questions asking. early <laughs> <laughs> You should
2: ask right, questions you. your viewers care about. We about? Well, we did. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite part at the end where he's like, you should have asked questions that your viewers care about. And the interviewer is like, ah, uh, we did. And so uh, Jonathan Elias is the anchor of ABC7 explaining to all the viewers in D.C. last night what actually happened right there.
1: So if you watch those entire interviews on our website, we do want to point out that the Terry McAuliffe interview is shorter than our interview with Glenn Youngkin. That was not by our doing. Nick offered both candidates 20 minutes exactly, to be fair, for the interviews. McAuliffe abruptly ended 7 News' interview after just 10 minutes and told Nick that he should have asked better questions and that Nick should have asked questions 7 News viewers care about. That's what he said.
2: And so apparently enough of the questions were about uh, his problems with the uh, education issue that uh, McAuliffe and his team decided to to cut it off. So, uh, Jim... How is this going to affect Election Day? I don't know. We've had early voting since mid-September. Who knows how many have voted, how many still are going to vote. But uh, if there are any on the fence, that might not be a huge number, but if there are any on the fence, Terry McAuliffe is not uh, doing himself any favors here. And that's good news.
1: Greg, right before we started taping, I'm setting up our connection. We're getting ready. And there's a knock at the door. Now, you have heard me in the past when either the phone rings and we're about to tape or (laughs) someone's at the door. And uh, we're about to tape. And it's not someone who I wanted to call me or greet me. I try to be a nice person, but sometimes I can be abrupt. And I don't really believe that I'm obligated to treat telemarketers like they're human beings with <laughs> dignity and respect and all that kind of stuff. St. Peter's going to really be irked at me when I when I meet my maker on, on this front. But anyway, so I get there and it's some kid. I'm like, oh, God, what is he selling? Greg, it was a young kid volunteer. Volunteer. Wow. Looks like maybe college age, you know. You know. Uh, you know. By the way, notice I'm at the age right now. Say somebody in college is a young kid, but anyway. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I was like, give me the material. Got to tape something. See ya. He's like, okay, and you just come in. But like, we don't usually get Republican volunteers going door to door in here in Authenticity Woods. This is in Fairfax County. Uh, McConnell won very narrowly back in 2009, but generally since then it's been pretty reliably Democratic. I have no idea what kind of greeting this this poor uh, young guy is getting a, as he goes door to door, but I don't remember there being door to door Republican door knockers uh, in 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 this neighborhood in past cycles. So I don't know if this means they got a a better effort. I don't know if they got more volunteers. I don't know if there's but it's just kind of an interesting indicator. The other thing that I think this little exchange about Terry McAuliffe, he's not outraged. He's not storming off in a, a, you know, really frustrated huff. It's kind of, you know, um, there's a certain amount of playfulness to it. But it does seem strange because, look, candidates run late all the time. Where does Terry McAuliffe have to go that he can't take another 10 minutes to continue this interview? It certainly seems like he didn't like the way this interview was going and decided, that's it, I'm out of here. And obviously instead of being the story is not about the answers of Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. The answer is the story is now about Terry McAuliffe getting up and walking out halfway through what was supposed to be a 20 minute interview. And again, I have a really tough time seeing what was going on. Was there a building on fire? Was there a a puppy that needed? Why is Terry McAuliffe so frustrated? I said, I got to get out of here. Who's the scheduler and what's going on that requires this? And this is just one last thing. It's kind of, starting to to permeate my thinking as Election Day gets closer. So Terry McAuliffe is the former governor of uh, Virginia. We don't allow our governors to run for two consecutive terms, but he was elected back in 2013, and he won up against Ken Cuccinelli and libertarian Robert Sarvis dripping off, peeling off a little bit of votes there. Um, I wrote a profile of Ken Cuccinelli. I think Ken, my, my conclusion after that, maybe I caught Ken Cuccinelli on a bad day. I, I remember coming away and saying, OK, this is a very bright guy. This is a guy who really knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And I remember four years earlier in the, the attorney general race, man, he just pantsed a guy in one of the debates where he asked him some basic questions about how does the attorney general's office work? And the guy just stammered. And it was clear he had not done his homework, so to speak, and just didn't understand couldn't name the offices, couldn't name the duties, just came across as this empty suit who didn't know the job he was going into. Um, but Ken Cuccinelli did not win in 2013. And I, I think he was not um, maybe a court low in the, the charisma and schmoozing department. Smart guy. If I was ever on trial, I'd want him to be my lawyer, but not necessarily a guy who's going to be the back-slabbing, you know, kind of guy um that you have to be often to win a statewide race and Terry McAuliffe you know had that aspect of the job you know nailed down pat but I kind of wonder if that you know one year after Obama wins a re-election was just a general overall better environment for Democrats and that Terry McAuliffe is kind of an overrated candidate he certainly has seemed to have you know fallen apart in these last couple of weeks here in uh uh Virginia and he certainly seems to have you know the wind at his back and it's a blue leaning state and you know uh just just seems to be stepping on a rake over and over again and i'm also starting to wonder whether glenn youngkin who is also not a whirling dervish of raw political charisma is maybe a little better than we thought that he has managed to get the issue you know the the, the uh, uh, electorate focused on the issue that he wants particularly education and the comeback he had because you know um you know McAuliffe had said you know uh talking about critical race theory it's a racist dog whistle issue or something like that so he gets asked by this i think by josh kraschauer of uh uh, national journal and youngkin just comes back and says i'm not going to take any lectures from a guy who had called upon ralph northam to resign after the clan hood and uh, blackface photo then forgot about it turned around asked for his endorsement got his endorsement and is now running ads or at least was running ads touting uh the endorsement of ralph northam aka coon man aka you know um and so that was a good answer that was really turning around and just a you know strong left hook there so or should i guess i'd say he's a republican right hook <laughs> um but added up like you know maybe young kid's better than we thought maybe McAuliffe is worse than we thought and you know storming off in mid-interview that certainly is not an indicator that uh terry McAuliffe is feeling great as we head into the final stretch here
2: No, I think you're right about that. There's also the national factors, which also play into uh, Virginia. Last time, of course, there was the government shutdown, which worked to McAuliffe's advantage against Cuccinelli. And then Cuccinelli had momentum uh, closer to Election Day because of all the problems with the uh, healthcare.gov site. But ultimately, uh, McAuliffe eked it out. Uh, Biden's obviously not doing great right now. That's why Mark Warner specifically went public saying we have to pass the infrastructure bill so we can help get Terry McAuliffe elected, which is exactly not how politics is supposed to work in Washington, but uh, often does. And so, Jim, uh, we'll see. I mean, Virginia has been um, pretty blue in statewide elections. So if McAuliffe can squeak it out, I think Democrats are going to learn exactly the wrong lesson from this and go pedal to the metal for the next year uh, and 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 not find the same results nationwide. But uh, maybe maybe Youngkin can pull this off. And if he can, the narrative will be vastly different. Mm-hmm. Well, as Jonathan Elias said, you can watch those uh, videos online at their website. But when you go online, sometimes you make assumptions that aren't actually true. Like browsing in incognito mode. You think it's safe, but... Is it really? I mean, it's part of the Chrome browser. They're all Google products. And Google's made a fortune by tracking your movements online, selling your information to uh, retailers and stuff. And, uh, you know, your privacy is not as private as you think it is. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against Google in California where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. Their defense? Incognito does not mean invisible. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible? You've got to get ExpressVPN.
1: It turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data. And one of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP address to uniquely identify you and your location. With ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. Now, every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address that was shared by lots of other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it much harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use. No matter what device you're on, whether it's a phone or a laptop or a smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection.
2: Reliable protection could not be easier to set up. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com martini and you'll also get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. Go to expressvpn.com martini to learn more. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And uh, for anyone who's had anything to do with energy prices in the last, uh, well, really nine months since uh, Joe Biden took office, uh, you know that they're a lot higher than they used to be. And, of course, some of this was uh, very deliberate on Biden's part. uh, Day one, literally day one, scrapping authorization for the Keystone XL pipeline. In fact, just this week I heard that uh, the company that's building the pipeline actually dug up the pipe that goes underneath the Canadian-U.S. border. So he's scrapped that. He's talked about uh, reducing the ability of energy companies to explore on uh, federal land. And ultimately, he wants to pretty much be done with fossil fuels sometime next decade. Well, there's that dream on the left, and then there's the reality. And thankfully, the Wall Street Journal has taken a close look at this because as uh, Biden and other factors are forcing our energy prices up, uh, there's some truth that we all need to know. An energy price shock, uh, writes the journal, is serving as a reminder of the world's continued dependency on fossil fuels even amid efforts to shift to renewable sources of energy. Demand for oil, coal, and natural gas has skyrocketed worldwide in recent weeks as unusual weather conditions and resurgent economies emerging from the pandemic combine to create energy shortages from China to Brazil to the U.K. This situation has laid bare the fragility of global supplies, as countries drive to pivot from fossil fuels to cleaner sources of energy, a shift many investors and governments are trying to accelerate amid concerns about climate change. Ah, but here comes the problem. The transition figures to be challenging for years to come, energy executives and analysts say, due to a stark reality. While fossil fuel investment is falling, fossil fuels account for most energy and green energy spending isn't growing fast enough, to fill the gap. And it's not just the spending. The supply of renewable energy simply can't match the abundance, the affordability, and the reliability of uh, the energy we do get from coal and and natural gas. So, uh, Jim, it would have been nice if people would have acknowledged this reality before our gas prices shot up, uh, I don't know, 50% or more at this point uh, from uh, when Biden took office. But hopefully somebody's paying attention
1: Greg, I remember not that long ago, say one administration ago where we had this all of the above approach and the idea that, yes, we wanted to develop renewables, solar and wind and all that, you know, happy stuff that shows up in Democratic campaign commercials. And we also wanted to develop our, you know, natural gas, clean coal, you know, you name the form of energy. We wanted to do it. And hey, you know, boy, imagine if we built a uh, nuclear power plant and had zero carbon emissions. Yes, we have to deal with nuclear waste. Yucca Mountain sure would be nice, but uh, or Yucca Mountain, Yucca, whatever. It'd be nice to have a mountain in Nevada. We could store all that stuff. But no, 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 apparently we're not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff. And we're just supposed to watch gradually increasing, or in some cases, dramatically increasing demand and not worry at all about supply. Now, all of this comes, Greg, as you know, not that long ago, we were like, oh, my goodness, the United States was a net total energy exporter in 2019 until 2020. Now, this is you know the first time since the 1950s we'd become an, an energy exporter like holy smokes this is, this is huge this is great remember how dependent we used to be on foreign oil depending on saudi arabia russia venezuela all these regimes we don't like we set this as a goal and we did it and, and now all of a sudden we're running out of energy huh well how did this happen how you know not that much has changed well actually one big change over at the head of the executive branch But you look at these headlines, like there's never a good time to have an energy crisis. There's never a good time to have, oh, energy prices are going to go up really high. But this would seem to be a particularly bad one when you've got really runaway inflation on a variety of fronts, groceries and stuff like that. And this is over at Reuters just a day or two ago. Nearly half of U.S. households rely on natural gas for heat. And the average cost for these homes is expected to rise by 30 percent to $746 for the October to March period from the same time a year earlier. The average cost of a home with natural gas last winter was $573, far cheaper than other major sources of heat. You know, like if you're already feeling squeezed by every time you refill the tank of your car, you're already feeling squeezed when you go to the grocery store. You're already feeling squeezed, you know, they can't, some talk, we you know, places are gonna have a hard time finding turkeys for Thanksgiving. Empty shelves for toys, like, you know, you're just feeling squeezed everywhere and now all of a sudden you're gonna have much higher home heating bills? Are you, are you kidding me? You know, we're gonna have, you know, uh, it's gonna make the tea party look like a, uh, a mild gathering uh, come winter. And I just, I cannot believe that we're seeing you know, people like Jen Psaki crack jokes about treadmills being slow to deliver or some idiotic comment about the blue mug versus the purple mug. When these are the sorts of squeezes that American consumers are under right now. It is just absolutely mind boggling And deeply frustrating, Greg. Um, We'll see how this shakes out. Maybe it won't be quite as bad as they're projecting, but uh, at this point, I do not want to count on that.
2: Is heating your home a high-class problem? That's what I can't... uh... Figure out here, but hats off to uh, Josh over at Hot Air who has also uh, been looking at this because he's looking at uh, the alternatives to fossil fuels and he says hydroelectric power great source of energy, pretty much maxed out on the easily dammed rivers and uh, new projects take a really long time. Nuclear energy is entirely carbon free, but you know you can't get a permit to do that anymore in this country and there's only a handful of places in America where geothermal energy is practical. So he says, let's face it, when you eliminate all those, there's pretty much nothing left to use on an industrial. Scale Scale except for fossil fuels which we have in abundance if we're allowed to use them and to to crack down when you don't have a replacement that's you know viable is just the height of insanity. All right well, while we're waiting for the Democrats to wake up on this issue, you can wake up on the uh, best sheets around. The Giza Dream Sheets from My Pillow. They're soft. They're comfortable. I don't know how many other adjectives I can come up with to just say these are the best sheets that we have. Uh, we love to uh, to sleep on, on the uh, Giza Dream Sheets. And uh, as soon as it's time to wash them, we wash them, put them right back on the bed. And for a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on any set of Giza Dream Sheets. When you use our promo code martini at mypillow.com
1: haven't you been wondering what kind of sheets does greg sleep on <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own guaranteed they are made from the world's best cotton grown only in a region between the sahara desert the mediterranean sea and the nile river its long staple cotton makes these sheets ultra soft and breathable they're available in a variety of colors and sizes machine And they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty.
2: Now, for a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim. Our last martini is kind of bad-slash-crazy, but mostly bad. And that's that we're probably going to end up with an agreement on a reconciliation bill. It won't be as horrific, uh, price tag-wise, as the original $3.5 trillion. But somewhere around the $2 trillion mark, There seems to be excitement on the Democratic side, and that never makes me feel good. All of a sudden, uh, Pramila Jayapal of uh, Washington State, head of the House Progressive Caucus, is totally fine with that. And, uh, you know, somebody, somebody got to the progressives on this, and so... Uh, Joe Manchin's going to get most of what he wants. We're hearing stories that uh, the quote-unquote free college uh, might be uh, cut from this bill. Uh, Joe Manchin has said that he wants uh, some of the climate provisions taken out, which would be wonderful. But still, it's going to be a two trillion dollar bill, and uh, that's going to be very, very bad. Considering the uh, $1 trillion dollars plus in the infrastructure bill and the two trillion in the COVID relief bill, There's the the debt's going to pile up. The cost is not zero, as Pelosi and others have said. Uh, but it's just amazing to watch uh, everybody seemingly fall into line, or at least in terms of their sound bites here, Jim, because. Just a couple of days ago, Bernie Sanders was saying $3.5 trillion was a compromise. Can't possibly go lower. And now somebody's gotten in the ear of the progressives, and they're uh, seemingly getting close to uh, a consensus around $2 trillion here.
1: Greg, if we're looking for a silver lining, we can observe that, yes, a $2 trillion number is significantly less than the $3.5 trillion, which is significantly less from the $6 trillion that the progressives had originally wanted during all this but I mean, we've all seen this as a negotiating tactic. You ask for something crazy and unreasonable and, and way over the top, and someone says I can't do that. But this brings their counter-offer closer to you, and you get the best deal you can from them. Uh, and you kind of wonder if that's what happened to the centrists here. Now, look, it's not done yet. Uh there's there, there's still time, there's still hope things could still go completely go wrong, and they could all end up uh squabbling and fighting and unable to come to a consensus. But what we've seen here is something kind of in the neighborhood of what I figured was going to happen. I wondered if at some point there would be a complete collapse, a, a total sense of, nope, we have no agreement. Progressives and centrists are just too far apart. Uh, mansion and cinema, or Cinnamon, as some people are calling them now, um, they're just not willing to budge on numbers that are okay for the progressives. The progressives are gonna take their bat and ball and go home and you know accuse the other side of tanking Biden's. Pr- it would, I thought it would get really, really bad. And then you know they take get another hit in the polls, and they'd realize just how disastrous the midterms were going to be. And then everybody, everybody, the Democratic caucus, oh my god, we got to pass something. And you'd throw something quickly together, and you'd end up getting something passed. It it now looks like we might not go down that particular path. We're getting a softer version of that. The the Democrats hit bottom. Everybody realizes they got to get something passed, and the progressives say, okay, let's get this. Um, And I think, in a way, between the two options, when you're when you're like, okay, we have. X amount to spend, and we have a whole lot more than we want to do. One way to do it is to do fewer programs, but fund them for, for, for the full 10 years. The other way to do it is to keep all your programs, but only fund some of them for three years, four years, five years, years—you know, some shorter period of time, setting up another fight to renew these programs. But as we all know, Greg, once a federal program gets created, it's very, very difficult to get rid of it uh, for further details read the weed agency. And there's the sneaking suspicion that, you know, as much as You've seen Kirsten Cinema get demonized and Joe Manchin is a corporatist Democrat and, you know, all this fuming that in the end, they're probably going to go along with a lot of what the progressives want. They're going to establish these uh, programs. They're just not going to fund them for as long as the progressives would like and setting this up for another fight a couple of years down the road, um, which I think if you're a fiscal conservative, I mean, you know, two trillion is still really bad. Alluding to something we discussed earlier in this podcast, I don't think dumping another two trillion on this economy is going to do anything good for inflation. I, I, you know, the other thing is today Joe Biden is going to be in Scranton, Pennsylvania, a state where Bob Casey is guaranteed to vote for anything that comes across his desk, <laughs> and Senator Pat Toomey, the Repu- retiring Republican of Pennsylvania and a fiscal conservative, is guaranteed to vote against anything that comes across his desk. Uh, so I understand why Biden's in Pennsylvania, other than just he likes to say, "Ah, I'm Joe from Scranton." You know. Um, you know, Joe Biden is gonna talk about this as a jobs bill. We have 10.4 million unfilled jobs in the country right now. We have a labor shortage. We we, we know the problem is not a lack of jobs. The problem is uh, people don't want to do these jobs at these uh, pro, at these wages, or in a whole bunch of cases, you know, they're, they're working parents who don't know if their kid's school is gonna be open at any given time because of COVID-19. Or maybe people don't like doing those jobs anymore. Or maybe they've decided they, you know, they've changed uh, career paths during the uh, during the pandemic, and they don't want to go back to the old ones. You know, um, there's a whole bunch of, of contributing factors to this. But the idea that the problem with our economy is we just need to create more jobs—actually, no, that's not the problem. I mean, you know, you always like having more jobs. But when you've got 10.4 million unfilled, like that's what's slowing down the economy. That's what's causing some of these problems. So uh in likelihood we're going to get something passed democrats are going to celebrate i actually don't think this is going to do them that much good in the polls in part because uh i don't think this bill really addresses what is bothering the country from the supply chains to the inflation to uh the border crisis to you know i'm going to continue beating the drum on afghanistan um you know there are a whole bunch of problems in this country and i don't think the administration is really responding to it and i don't think another giant spending bill really is the problem but, uh, hey, they're not
2: listening to me, Greg. They're addressing the border, Jim. Free college for illegals.
1: Yeah, there you go. But not for Americans. That's that's what they <laughs> took out of it. That's.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it's not just the spending. It's what they're spending on. And you're right. If they just get the foot in the door on some of these programs that are going to be very damaging to our freedom— it's going to be very, very hard to get rid of him, even if we do uh, very, very well in the next uh, couple of elections. But uh, anyway, uh, Politico does say the odds are still stacked against the party. I'm not sure how they come to that conclusion. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep hope alive that, uh, that this will actually implode, but uh, not looking that way right now. Jim, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. See you on Thursday. Actually, no, you're off for the next couple of days. So uh, enjoy that, and I'll see you again on Monday.
1: I am. There's a National Review Institute event in Dallas. This is going to be my first really big trip since the pandemic. First time on a plane, so you know, should be exciting. Uh, if you are listening to this, and will be in Dallas, I look forward to seeing you. Otherwise, I will. You will hear from me on Monday. Greg, keep the fork. Uh, keep the fork. Keep, keep the fork down. <laughs>
2: I'll hold down the fort.
1: (laughs) Hold down the fort. That's what you're supposed to do. Don't don't let the fort just jump up and run away. I'm not sure how often that problem happens, but nonetheless, make sure you got some paperweights and stuff.
2: (laughs) Sounds good. Safe travels to you, Jim. Uh, John Gabriel of Ricochet will be uh, in for Jim the next couple of days. First time we've had him as a guest host, so we'll look forward to that. And then, uh, obviously, look forward to Jim being back with us on Monday. So uh, thank you very much for listening to the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, Please subscribe if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. Also, uh, remember you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Finally, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
0: The Biden administration will not let the Border Patrol do its job, so the crisis is only getting worse. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to discuss her frustrating trip to the border and the horrifying news that our government is giving money to human smugglers. I'll also react to stories that some Afghan people are so desperate that they are selling their own children to pay debts. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, well, let's talk about some more good news, and that's 4Patriots, where you can find them at 4Patriots.com slash martini and find all the great deals, including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4patriots.com martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of the Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind Control Matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out the Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey y'all, it's Sarah Carter from the Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America. America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who were breaking U.S. law. And I have the exclusive audio for all this and more. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.